Hi, everybody. I'm Ralph Benmergi. Welcome to Not That Kind of Rabbi. Not That Kind of Rabbi, by the way, sponsored in part by Kaplansky's Deli. Enjoy a Kaplansky's Delicatessen smoked meat sandwich next time you're in Toronto's Pearson International Airport, if we're ever allowed back into Toronto, Pearson International Airport. Look for Kaplansky's Mustard Deli online, and they have a signature variety pack, a pick and mix mustard pack. I like the variety pack myself. A Kaplansky's t-shirt, which I happen to have. Kicking it old shul, a good Jewish show. Mustard and t-shirt combo you can get and use the promo code NTKR if you're not that kind of rabbi. Uh, Kaplansky's Deli is at Terminal 3 in Pearson. If you're Seriously, if you're there, stop by. I'm a vegetarian and I still go there and have fries and different <laughs> coleslaw and whatever the heck I want. Uh, but Kaplansky's Deli, a great mustard and uh, go online and look for them at kaplanskysdeli.com. All right, I'm going to talk a little bit about something, um, the word faith. It's an interesting word. People usually, I find, associate faith with blind faith. I'm not thinking, I'm not rational. I just have this blind faith that everything, you know, the Lord will take care of me. Well, I'm, some of you know who listen to the podcast, I'm not much on a transactional Lord who tells you things and that you talk to because you're really important considering there are 500 million galaxies in the universe. I'm sure that that whatever is listening just for me, but it's the other way around really. It's your availability to the fact that you're part of something way bigger than you could possibly imagine. And the faith for me doesn't come from this idea that everything is gonna work out. It's really having faith in being present because presence is the hardest thing. You know, I don't know how many people I know who know perfectly well that meditation, even scientifically proven, to be very beneficial. We don't call it meditation apparently anymore. We call it mindfulness because God forbid we'd have a religious overtone to the word. But meditation itself, okay? You know perfectly well that if you did it 20 minutes a day at the beginning and the end of the day, your health would improve, your stress levels would go down, your ability to be patient with yourself and other people, you would have an ability to be available and you have to have faith in that ability. And yet, we don't do it. We just go, yeah, yeah, that would probably be better than a double shot of vodka at the end of the day. But, you know, I've tried it. And my mind wandered a thousand times and which is called monkey mind, which is what we all live in anyway. Um, but, the other part of faith is sometimes things happen and you just have to have faith that you don't understand them, but they happen. So I'll give you an example. Uh, one of my sons, my second son of four. So one of my sons um, had a friend and his friend's dad was the assistant coach for the hockey team that my son played on. They were on the select team that got to play in tournaments and have a great time. And this man was uh, the assistant coach. And every time the puck went into our zone, my son was a defenseman. He laughed with me afterwards because he would be on the bench going, get it out, get it out, get it out. No matter what the play was. Now, having grown up as a defenseman in hockey, it's not always the best idea to just panic and get it out. Sometimes if you hold on to the puck, three people react as if you're going to get it out and they skate right by you. Other times, it's a really good idea to get it out, but make sure the outlet pass is actually a real thing. 
So he would always say, get it out, get it out, get it out. And I was in the supermarket last week and I'm, you know, looking for the hot peppers, sliced hot peppers and, you know, whatever I got to get, the decaf coffee. And all of a sudden into my head comes, get it out, get it out, get it out. And I remember him because he passed away a couple of years ago. Really nice guy. And he passed away and I, I heard this, get it out, get it out, get it out. And for some reason that I can't explain, and I'm not really a guy for this, I, said, I felt like he was around me. And I just said, anything you want to tell me? And I literally got an answer. And it was, don't give up on your kids. Never give up on your kids. And I couldn't believe it. It's like I, I, I was just walking down the aisle like, did that just happen? Now, I don't know if it happened or didn't happen, but it happened. So I have to have faith in the fact that not everything that happens to me can be explained. I don't want to have faith that no matter what, I'm special and it's all going to turn out fine for me because that's just your ego. But if you're available all as much as you can to the actual present moment, you'll find it's easier to have faith in that moment that whatever's happening is okay. That it's not about the anticipation. Like, take your kid who's, I have an 11 year old, that's my youngest, take him for a flu shot, all the way to the flu shot. He's upset, deeply and profoundly upset because he's going to get a needle. He hasn't gotten the needle yet. The needle itself is it's just going to pinprick him, but he's got in his mind, this is the worst thing that ever happened. So he's not present at all. He's not noticing the things going by as we go over to the pharmacy. He's just flipping out. And then it, as he's anticipating, I have to sit and talk to him to distract him from what he's fearful of. And what he's fearing is pain, even though the actual pain is going to be so small, he won't even know what happened. So I'm talking to him and he feels a little pinprick and it's over and it's just over. And then he starts worrying about whether it's gonna hurt later or he's gonna get sick from it later. So that's just the way most of us live in the past or worrying about the future. But if we're present, we can have faith in the situation as it stands. And it's usually not what we think is going on because we're carrying tons of baggage in and projecting tons of baggage out. So that's my little faith conversation with myself in a supermarket for today, for today, <laughs> for today's quiz. Um, I have an old friend I haven't spoken to in ages. He's seen me in public. I've heard him and watched him in public. And I always think, oh, he sounds like he's okay. That's good. But we started off together in campus radio at Ryerson, CKON. And uh, him and a guy named Phil, uh, would do the Marley game. Was it the Marley games? I think it was the Marley games. Yes. Yes. And we would, it was like hamsters on wheels getting that thing through the radio station and out into the public. <laughs> Whoever was listening to CKLN. But it was a great training ground. And he ended up as one of the Leaf broadcasters. He's ended up, he's done international hockey. He's done everything that you can do in play by play and hockey and sports. He's just a really talented broadcaster. Um, and uh, we reconnected uh, a little while ago because uh, little did I know he actually loves jazz too. So he's now the perfect human being, the perfect <laughs> human being. His name is Paul Romanuk. You probably know who he is. Uh, and he's with me. Hi, Paul. 
Ralph, it is wonderful uh, to see you, even if it's virtually. Uh, I look forward to, to actually sitting down and having a vegetarian lunch with you when we can. <laughs> You're a meat eater, though. Um, yes, I am. But I would say um, I'm not a vegetarian, but I don't eat much meat, if that makes any sense. Yeah. yeah. And look at all the stuff that's like meat that's out there these days so that people you know, can go to fast food joints and get beyond beef burgers so I, I guess the trend is there yeah it's an interesting thing to be uh, there's there are religions where vegetarianism is uh, mandatory you know uh, uh, there are certain sects of hindu that it's mandatory there are jains j-a-i-n's where you you're a vegetarian um, and in the bible it's interesting because there's this moment in the desert where the israelites demand meat and there's this metaphorical conversation going on where God says, no, 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 no. And they go, no, we really want it. It's like, no, no, it's not a good idea uh, because it opens the, the, the door of your heart to greed, to wanting, to wanting, because it's meat and I want it. And they go, no, we really want it. You know, And this is all done through the Moses character in the Bible. And finally God says, okay, you know what, fine. Just stuff it in your mouth and let the grease pour out both sides. To hell with you. And then they get their meat. And so it's seen as really a symbol of aggression. You know, that that whole idea that you, to take another animal. And yet, we're omnivores, so it's weird. Um, yeah, gonna, yeah. You know, I'm going to ask you something. Um, I always ask people, were they brought up with any religion at all? And if so, what was it? So were you um i suppose it was a standard canadian working class at the time religious upbringing i was baptized right. um at a united church so you know they baptize anybody so, so <laughs> <laughs> yeah you're good uh so so um however uh my grandfather on my father's side ukrainian immigrant was a baptist minister wow and as a result i think as a you know my uh, my dad's no longer around and unfortunately he didn't live long enough where i was able to have an adult relationship with him and have this kind of discussion but um you know he was raised very you know baptist pretty strict uh, and so his kind of pushback or correction, if you want to use a more modern term, was uh, that there was no religion in the house. You know, I, I remember going to Sunday school as a very young lad, but it was quickly, you know, no longer uh, really a, a part of my of my upbringing. Uh, now, we still said, again, that's why I say it was it was your standard sort of middle class faith upbringing or working class. We still said grace at Thanksgiving. You know, and at Christmas and special occasions, somebody would say the grace before the meal and so on. But, but, um, you know, it, it was not, not a big part of my life. So when big questions came up as a kid, I remember being pretty young when I started thinking about death. I had older siblings. I was the youngest. And I just kept thinking, what kind of a bad joke is this that we get a life and then it ends? How did you deal with those big questions when you were a kid? Well, I think a, for a lot of 
kids, they probably had a similar experience to you uh, when the sort of, you know, the shoe drops and you realize that things die. Uh, you wonder where they go and carrying that line of thought and reasoning one more step. Well, where do I go? <laughs> And <laughs> where is it? Where was it? And, and I can remember, um, you know, a conversation as a, you know, I would have been a, a boy, tiny boy. Um, but, you know, well, you know, you've got a long time to live. Don't worry about that. Um, but there was no discussion per se as to, you know, you go to heaven or you go to hell or, or that. Um, again, it wasn't that kind of a religious upbringing that I had. So that's a good question. I, you know, I, I suppose I just rattled it around in my own mind. Um, and, you know, eventually came to the conclusion as an adult that, you know, you don't go anywhere. Um, so you're of that school that we're just here and then we die and it's over. There is no nothing. There's no nothing. There's nothing before. And there was nothing after. <laughs> I, I guess if I had to pick, you know, the thing about faith, um, and, and it's, it's something that stuck with me. Um, I was quite, I was a young man. I was in my very early 20s when my, uh, when my mother passed away unexpectedly. And it was just devastating. You know, it was, it was the first real person that I, that I knew who was close to me, of, you know, understatement. She was my mother uh, who died. Yeah. And and it was just devastating and uh, and had a great impact on me and has through my whole life. But the point of my story is I can remember being at the funeral home and talking to one of the funeral directors about a religious aspect of the funeral. And I said, well, my mom wasn't she wasn't really that religious. You know, so I, I you know, I. I'm struggling with this a little bit. And he said, and it stuck with me for all these years. He said, you know what, son? He said, faith is a great comfort to those to whom faith is a great comfort. So my approach has always been, if it is a great comfort to you, <clears throat> then, then, then so be it. Then that's, that's great. Um, and if it's not, then it's not. Um, that, that's always been my sort of approach. So I wouldn't say I'm not religious. Uh, I'm not as so presumptuous as to go, you know, I think probably there is some greater presence thing aspect of the universe, be that string theory, uh, some kind of time travel, time theory, anything like that. Right. You know, the, the Einstein science has touched on it, right? right. Um, there is a big something, and I think it's beyond our comprehension. Now, whatever that is, is it, is it, does it have a faith aspect to it? Does it have a religious aspect to it? I don't know, and, and I expect nobody really does. Yeah, well, that's the, that's the thing about faith. Belief is a different thing. You know, I believe there is, you know, when people talk about a detailed idea of the afterlife, I think, you know, <laughs> I wouldn't be so sure that I could actually make an architecture to this and, you know, go down this hallway for, you know, Peter and go down this hallway for Gabriel. It's like, yeah, I don't, I don't think that's really what we're doing here. Uh, yet, I don't like the idea of not thinking this mystery. Because for me, mystery makes life worth living. 
you said that you never got to really know your, your, your dad as an adult. So, but you said your mother, you lost when you were in your twenties. What about your dad? I, uh, unfortunately he died just a few years later. Um, so, uh, I, so you uh, lost them both within like a few years in your twenties, right? Twenties. Yeah. 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 That's a hell of a time. Well, anytime is a hell of a time to lose both parents. But, uh, whenever I, I talk with friends who lost both parents, I realized you, you've been orphaned, right? You're, you're an orphan. Your parents aren't there. But on the other hand, do you get the sense that in some way or another, there's still a relationship going on with either of those two people? No question. Um, not, not in the sense of, uh, you know, they're watching over me, you know, not that, not that sense. Um, but certainly in the sense that, I mean, I still, to this day, quote things and, and you know, abide by things that I was taught by my parents. Right. Um, you know, it's, I mean, an indelible impression on, on me as a, as a person. Uh, now, so did their death, their deaths in my twenties, <clears throat> but taking that away, you know, which I, I suppose you can't, I mean, that's molded the person I've become, but to answer your question, I mean, yes, I, I do still, you know, I think about things that conversations I had, things they taught me and I try to you know, I'll say to myself in my head, try to be, try to be the person Ed Romanuk would want you to be. Right. Try to be the person Barb Romanuk would want you to be, which were their names. Right. Uh, so yeah, for sure. That still has a, how could it not? Right. Yeah. And the other part, I guess, uh, is when big things happen for you, there's this moment of, you know, would have been nice if they saw me do that. That absolutely happens. I, I, I think back to, you know, to my, wishing my parents could be there and i'll give you a great example was uh for those of you who aren't sports fans if you're a, a sports broadcaster in canada then the ultimate show to be on when you're growing up as a baby sportscaster is hockey night in canada and i finally got a chair on hockey night in canada after you know working towards it hoping for it my whole career so moved back to canada from the uk where where uh, my wife and i were living came back and here was my first saturday night on hockey night in canada and i did on purpose you usually get up to the booth well before the game it's your office and you set things up and everything and i did sit there and i had a moment i was all by myself my broadcast partner wasn't up yet uh, the stats guy wasn't there yet. There was nobody else in the booth. And I just sort of sat there and I closed my eyes and I just sort of sat there and I had a moment and, and I thought, wow, you know, I so wish my parents could be watching this cause they'd be so proud. Yeah. So moments like that, uh, you know, you, as anybody who's lost a parent, uh, would know of, you know, who lost them when they were at a, a young age, uh, you know, you can't, you can never replace those things. And those, those thoughts always come up. Um, you know, fortunately I was able to have my you know biggest life event, which was getting married. I've been married to the same person for well, you know, 30, oh, 30 plus years. And, uh, we were able to have the wedding before my dad passed away and he was my best man. Oh, great. So that was wonderful. 
But uh, yeah, those moments come along and you go, ah, man, I wish they could see it. And then there are some where you go, boy, I'm glad they're not around to see that. (laughs) (laughs) Not not my best day. Was that ever a mess? I'm glad. No, I'm glad. (laughs) I'm glad that I didn't have to put them through that public shame. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I, I wonder I think there's parallels to you and me in certain ways that, you know, we've had good careers. We've enjoyed ourselves. We've had some stuff that, you know, other people don't, they didn't get. And you, you always are grateful for that and you don't take it for granted. But uh, I, I don't know about you, but I, I wonder about being at this place where you're not the one anymore. You're not the one that they're all looking for. You know, there's the old showbiz joke. Who's, Who's Paul Romanuk? Get me Paul Romanuk. Get me a young Paul Romanuk. Who's Paul Romanuk? Right? So where do you find yourself these days? Because you're you're not doing the hockey broadcast right now. So I don't I'd love to hear the journey that you're on right now. Well, it's been very, very difficult. Um I was uh I was let go. I got caught up in the whole Rogers rights fiasco um, at HockeyNet in Canada. And along with many others who I stand proudly with, many other very good broadcasters and very, very talented people behind the scenes who were let go, um, not because Rogers weren't making money. They just weren't making enough money. Um, you know, Apparently. They, uh, yeah. So, <laughs> so I got caught up in that and um you know, without going into the the gory, gory details, I knew when I was being told that, you know, you're done, that I was done. Um, You know, a a broadcaster in his late fifties at the pinnacle for a broadcaster in Canada, if you're a sports broadcaster, hockey night in Canada, there's nowhere to go. Uh, And then from a practical point of view, the thing that I'm best at play by play there essentially is only one game in town. And that's the company that was just telling me they no longer required my services. Um, at the, you know, the other company bell uh, who have some hockey rights through TSN, those chairs are filled and there aren't many of them. So uh, it's been very, very difficult. And uh, I think at this point I sort of go, you know what I'm, I'm semi-retired. Uh, I, you know, I don't expect I will call hockey play-by-play anymore. Uh, I had a great run doing it, and uh, with two years in the rearview mirror, I can be a little bit more philosophical and go, "Hey, I did, I did eleven World Junior Championships. I did uh, f- four years at Hockey Night in Canada, three conference championships. I did the World Hockey Championship. I did the Spengler Cup. I did six Olympic Games. I can go down the list and go. Hey, it's a pretty good run." But still, I'd like to still be a broadcaster, but there just doesn't seem to be any room. So uh, I, I do a little bit of teaching. I do a podcast, which I enjoy immensely, make no money on. But, <laughs> really? Know, it keeps you busy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Shocker. No this, I better stop doing oh, this. 
hold on, Ralph, this is just coming in. You don't really make any money podcasting unless your name is Malcolm Gladwell, Gladwell or uh, <laughs> Joe Rogan or yeah, uh, yeah. Howard Stern. So, yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's kind of where I am. I mean, I, I don't think Ralph, and you can speak to this. I mean, you, you've, you've gone a different route, but for very few people in our business, it doesn't end well. It just doesn't. Right. Right. You know, unless you really wanted it to end and, you know, you've had enough. That moment, I talked to Jamie Campbell uh, on this uh, podcast uh, a long time ago, and I got a lot of time for him. He does beautiful stuff for people. You know, he was calling uh, older people, Blue Jays fans all over Canada at the beginning of the pandemic just to see how they were doing. He was driving food to people. I mean, the guy's a mensch, a total mensch. But we talked about the day where they told him he was no longer going to do play-by-play for the Jays. And that that whole year, he felt like, mm, something was up, this isn't going to be good. But that he was crushed at that moment, right? He was just like, oh, I, I knew it. Um, and as he was leaving, he got a phone call about one of his kids uh, having a real issue, like a serious issue. And he said it was a blessing because, of course, it all worked out. But it was a blessing because it made him immediately realize it's a gig. It's not all of who I am. Uh, and I'll, I'll find my way out of this one way or another. But it shook him. You know, it was just like, well, wait a minute. But, you know, I wonder, we see ourselves so much identify ourselves so much with something, especially if we had a lot of success at it and we're good at it, right? But where does all that go? Where does all that talent go? Where does all that offering go? Is a really hard spiritual question because it it also deals with the fact of getting older. Mm -hmm. You got thoughts on that? Well, yes, Uh, you, you sort of touched on it earlier just after your introduction i mean uh you know with the you know who's paul romanuk get me paul romanuk yeah. we gotta have more paul romanuk who's paul Ro-? you know <laughs> you know that's i guess if you know an offshoot of my it it rarely ends well for anybody yeah. in our business you know you you uh you know which is not to get off on too much of a tangent but it's a podcast but one of my probably my broadcasting play-by-play hero was danny gallivan uh, because I grew up listening to him. He was so good with the language. Uh, he, you know, had a tremendous, uh, way he could build the moment. And, and I just liked the way he spoke. He was, he was everything I wanted to be as a play-by-play announcer. And Danny, um, unlike his polar opposite, Bob Cole, Danny reached a point where he realized, you know, because your eyesight, eyesight starts to go, you've done it for a lot of years. And he said, I'm done. And he, and he left, you know, and, uh, whereas, and I always admired him for that. And I always thought that's what I want to do. You know, I want to, you know, I want to reach a point and go, it's been great. I'm leaving. Uh, Bob Cole, on the other hand, you know, Bob Cole would still be doing it. If, if they let him, if they let him, you know, Bob Cole wanted to do it until the end. And, uh, it, it didn't matter to him that, that, uh, you know, he didn't have the call that he did 20 years ago. Right. Uh, he just, he wanted to keep on doing it. So you had those two approaches and, uh, you know, I, so I do regret that I didn't get to leave that way, but to your point, yeah, I mean, you know, 
you start to get older. The thing I'm struggling with the most right now is that just the way the broadcasting industry has changed because it's ever changing is that, and I knew this when, when I was let go from Rogers, I just thought I'm in probably the worst possible place you could be. The industry is contracting and I'm in my late fifties. There's not much out there for me. Right. It's just, you know, if even trying to be objective and putting yourself in the hiring seat, a sports radio station, for example, you're going to want that younger, fresher voice. Right. And cheaper voice. There you go. It's not just about younger and fresher. It's new. We are a society that's fixated on new and improved. Right. Nobody ever says old and improved. Yeah. And yet, as a human being, that is true. As, a, as you gain wisdom and experience, you are old and improved. You do have things to offer that somebody who's 27 and full of adrenaline uh, wouldn't be able to slip in the nuance of what's really going on on the ice right now. You know, how the momentum is actually changing because they don't realize they're just too busy getting it right and nailing it. And you're like, okay, I've still got zoom lens. I can still see this thing and see the bigger picture of where this game is starting to go. So I know that I now have to build a new narrative based on this character in the, in, in the, on the ice as opposed to that one. This isn't the Sidney Crosby uh, event that everybody said at the beginning of the broadcast. It's actually turning into, you know, whatever. The Dale Talon event. <laughs> you know, so the, the point is that there's so much there, but the other part is how we identify. So, you know, I've had a bunch of different things that I've done that had nothing to do with broadcasting. After I, I worked at CBC, I worked at Jazz FM, and then I worked in government for two years doing communications. Then I worked as the advisor to a president of a college for five years. And then I worked on a co-work space. But even while I was, what I was really doing after, after Sheridan, where I worked, which was a wonderful experience, was, but I'm me, I got to be me, I got to do this like me. And so I was, it was a much more of a struggle. And it took me, I'd say two to three years to finally go, just be yourself, be true to yourself, and whatever will come, will come. And you don't know what it's going to be, but it doesn't have to be what it was. I don't have to do... What, so I'm a spiritual counselor. Uh, you know, I'm immersed in that whole world of, of, of what to do with, with yourself on a spiritual level. I do workshops for aging to saging. And in the aging to saging workshop, you're really dealing with people trying to move them away from this kind of pathology of getting older. Oh, my hip. Oh, my arm. Oh, I'm, you know, I've got stents in my heart. Oh, I've got this. I, is that a cancer? I got a thing on my hand, you know, everything become and how we take care of people as they get older as is as body parts, but the rest of you, the soul of you, the, the, the true self of you, to me, that's the journey and transition that people like you and I have to go through. Does that make any sense? Yes, it does. Uh, and you know, it's, it's, uh, it's it's enlightening to hear you make that point uh, because it's it's a good one and it's in in my journey 
I'm getting closer to that. I, I can now, as I alluded to earlier, I can look into the rearview mirror and see things and, and go, well, you know, I, I'd like to do that again, but I don't know that I will. And I'm doing these other things that I enjoy and I'm trying to pursue other things that I enjoy and just be comfortable with that. And, and to, to your point, something good will come out of it. I don't know what, I don't know what it will be, um, but uh, you know, I do know that I, I can't go back, whatever analogy you want to use, in the wake of the boat. You know, right, there goes right. the wake. I can't go back. Right. Um, but th that still doesn't mean, uh, you know, I, I loved doing that job. Uh, right. And, it, and, and uh, I did not finish up my career the way I would have liked to. And there were, you know, it was just, just a, on so many levels, uh, it was upsetting. But then again, I have to, I've got to look ahead and I've got to try to be optimistic that in the moment, to your earlier point, be in the moment and things will work out. That's what yeah. I hope. Yeah. Well, because in reality, everything else is thrashing about. But the other part of it is that we also live in a culture where one of the few acceptable isms is ageism. That there are things that, so we're supposed to get to, you know, to, to a certain age, you know, you still got a few more years before that, but just, you're supposed to get to a certain age and play golf for the rest of your life. <laughs> I don't like golf. I never got golf. I'm not interested in playing golf for the rest of my life. And we live in actuarial table terms. We live a lot longer than we used to. Mm -hmm. And yet we're supposed to go and sit on the sideline at a certain age and go, well, what am I supposed to do with the next 20 years of my life? And one of the things that comes to me is I can either try to figure this out through my ego or and an ego system of life where I'm at the top of the pyramid uh, and I'm supposed to be Ralph Ben Mergy. I'm not supposed to be something. Don't you know who I am? And a 22 year old looks at me and goes, I haven't a clue who you are. <laughs> right. So I can l let the ego bounce around thinking, Hey, look at me. Come on. That's what I my whole life was. Look at me. So here I am. Or I can become part of an ecosystem of a whole bunch of things that are going on at the same time. And that my relationship to them should be a sincere relationship to them and to myself and what I'm doing. And then I have no idea how that turns out, but at least I'm not, you know, taking out my old baseball card and going, remember I was I had a <laughs> cup of coffee for the Jays, you know, yeah. right? Like you don't want to be that, right? So I know you know what I'm talking about. Oh, it's it's a great point. I mean, it's it's a, and I think it just circles back to your original point of, you know, be here now, be in the moment, trust the moment, and you know, have faith that the moment will lead to another moment uh, that's going to be good. Maybe that's putting it a little more simply or not yeah, quite no, as eloquently that, no, as yeah. you did. But. No, no, that's right. That's right. So where does it, where does it go now? I mean, uh, what gets you up in the morning? Very <laughs> right now. Yeah. Um, I mean, so many different things, but uh, I mean, I'm, I, I do all I can to make sure that I can support my wife uh because she's you know been very fortunate she's continued to work 
through this whole pandemic. Uh, she's at her desk in her home office every day, eight hours doing her job. So I do all I can to make sure that she's able to do that job. So I, um, I'm a cook anyways, but I, I cook the meals. I do the shopping. I look after their, our dog. I look after the house. Uh, in between all of that, uh, I exercise. I work on my podcast, uh, which has you know, been a great, great, enjoyable thing to do. What, what's uh, it called, the podcast? The podcast is called The Walrus Was Paul. Okay. And uh, I'm a, a massive music guy and and uh Beatles fan amongst other things and so I had heard another podcast similar to this and I thought I would give it a, a bit of a Canadian twist and it's a very simple concept I talked to a Canadian music person musician producer somebody in the Canadian music business and they go through their favorite Beatles or Beatles solo album track by track. <laughs> That's a great uh, idea. Simple concept, a lot of fun. And I've, I've been able to talk to, uh, you know, Jim Cuddy and Colin Cripps from Blue Rodeo, Stephen Page from the Bare Naked Ladies, Tyler yeah. Stewart, uh, you know, uh, Craig Northey, uh, right on some, uh, has, is there one album so that, much fun. Is there one album that you get uh, people talking about more than others, or is it pretty well spread around? Well, they each pick a different record, uh, so I haven't had any repeats yet. Um, but you know, it's which one ones, would you do? It depends what day it is. Uh, <laughs> it, it really today, does. Today, it, which one would you? Today, pick? Uh, yeah. if I had to pick today, I would probably do uh, a hard day's night oh, um, wow. because I've been editing a, the next in the series that's coming out is with a guy named Tim Bulbacanti, who's one of the great guitar session players, uh, producers in, in, Can in Canadian music. He played with Burton Cummings and Ron Sexsmith and uh, all kinds of great people. And he picked A Hard Day's Night. So I've been listening to it while I've been putting this podcast together. And it's just such a joyful album. It was uh, still, they were still a rock and roll band. Yeah. Uh, they were still touring and just the, the utter joy in songs like can't buy me love and a hard day's night and i should have known better and you can't do that it's just it's pure joy and you can hear that joy you talk about spirituality uh look yeah. look no further than music than good music yeah uh and and it just it can just bring that out of you i um, saw the movie as a kid i we went to my sister and i went to see the movie of a hard day's night and we'd never seen anything like it and then, of course, afterwards, the Monkees TV show was basically a hard day's night. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah, but it was... at the time, it was just like, it was all about fame. It was all about running away from the screaming girls. And, and yet they had that wonderful Liverpudlian sense of irony. Right? It's just like, is this not ridiculous? I mean, seriously, this is nuts what's going on here. As yeah. opposed to being melancholy about it, they were just all sort of poking you in the eye and going, "All right, if you want to buy my lunchbox, go ahead." But that, but that is so, um, you know, it's 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 very British English, and in that case, uh, you know, Northern English. Yeah. Where I, I lived over there, I lived in London for nine years, and the, you're generalizing, so which is always a danger. But in general. Most British people, not every British person is funny, but every British person is prepared for 
the prospect of being funny. <laughs> like there's, there's always a, you know, there's always sort of a, a funny take on something. And, and a perfect example would be if you said to a Canadian, most Canadians, cause we're very earnest uh, by, you know, by nature, uh, annoyingly so sometimes, but, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. but, but, but if, if, if you said to a Canadian, Hey, that's a really nice suit you have on. Most Canadians would go, Oh yeah. Oh, yeah it's one of my favorites too. I got it the other week. You know, it's my best suit. You know, whereas if I said that to somebody from Liverpool, they'd go something along the lines of, well, you know, you got to have one stole it from me, mate, you know, something there'd be, there'd be a joke That's uh, right. That's immediately right. like, you know, pushing it right back at you. Uh, Enjoy it while you can. I got to return it in about an hour. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it, like that's, that's the British. And, and in this case, uh, you know, you picked up on it, the Northern, the, the Northern English sense of humor. And I uh, mean, that was part of the appeal of the Beatles and, and that whole movie where they were essentially playing amplified caricatures of themselves. Um, with yeah. That, you know, sort of Northern droll sense of humor. Which sometimes we're all doing. Well, yeah. well yeah. characters of ourselves. That's the yes. thing. Well, but you see, okay, so there's a new thread, right? There's a passion when you speak of that, right? Like you had a passion for, for the game and you have a passion for music. And it's interesting when you talk about the podcast, because really what you're doing is doing a play-by-play -play of an album with somebody. <laughs> I guess... Yeah, you're, it is. you're the color commentator and they're the, they're the play by play because they tell you about the tune. Right. So, it is, yeah, it's funny. I, you're, it's true. Right. Because your 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 mind is already there where you know how to deconstruct and reconstitute and then create a narrative. Because if, if a person who was thrown into a booth to, to do play by play of hockey, they'd be about a second and a half behind every play. And that's as far as they'd get all night. They just be a second and a half behind every play going, is that the right name? Is this the right place? Is that what happened? What whistle went? What did I miss the offset? What's going? But instead, when you have the ability to do 30,000 feet and then give people granular and then get, tell them a story, that's music, right? Yeah. Get yeah. inspired to do something, create the, the actual notation to get it done and then create a story. You know, what'd you think of uh, the movie yesterday? Uh, I've the, my favorite scene by far, uh, and, uh, you know, I had a, probably with many viewers, uh, had, you know, a bit of a, a catch in your throat, uh, was the scene where, you know, spoiler alert, uh, but the scene where the, the main character walked up and knocked on the door of you know, the, the sort of yeah. hut and he opened the door and it was obviously it was John Lennon in his seventies or whatever. Yeah. And, uh, and then just the whole conversation the the part where you, are, you really kind of went a little bit was when he said to him, he goes, have you had a good life? And he said, yeah, I've had a good life, you know, and, it, and, and you could, and it was just so well done. Yeah. Um, after they should have ended the movie on that scene yeah. in, in, in my view, because afterwards it kind of, you know, spun out of control and got a little Hollywood and, uh, you know, didn't do it for me, but, but up until then, and that scene was just so well done and such but a nice, don't you lovely idea. Be that, don't you want to be that guy? The guy where they knock on the door and go, have you had a good life? And you get to say, yeah, I have. Yeah. Yeah. You and, know. and, and of course all around it, Ralph, that, you know, that makes it more poignant is, you know, we all know that in reality, that poor man was murdered when he was 40 yeah. and he left behind, a, you know, a wife, he left behind a 
two boys. He left behind friends and he left, you know, God knows what um, inside that was never going to come out. And, and, and I just, that gave that scene so much poignancy because you, for me, it did anyways. Yeah, I thought it was yeah. a lovely so scene. It, it makes, you know, I used to have this haunting feeling that, that life would end too, too quickly and that my words would have been, I'm not finished yet. <laughs> yeah. do, you, do you ever feel that way? That Especially when things change, like, you know, they, Rogers did their thing and got rid of all kinds of great people. You know, did you sort of walk out the door going, I'm not finished yet? Oh, very much so, and I and I still, I still feel that way. Um, like when you're co- like I do this a lot of what you're doing. I cook and take care of the house and the kids, and I do projects. And you know, some of them pay and some of them don't, and some of it's sweet and some of it isn't. My wife's working real hard and all that. Um, and at first, I really found that hard on my ego. It's like, oh, get you know, wow, this is it. Uh, you know, I'm a house husband. Uh, but now I actually find I, there's a love of what I'm doing, a love of every moment I get to spend with my two younger kids, uh, that I'm taking care of stuff. I'm good at it. I'm good at, at I, I'm the guy who can clean the house. And my dad was that guy, you know. But on the other hand, I also find that more, the more relaxed I am into saying, what, let's strip away whether it's doing this job or that job what in essence makes me tick and makes me happy and then just finding out that i get to do work in those in those areas anyway not right away not for tons of money uh, but i get it and it was all because i stopped thinking it had to be a certain way and just thought well who are you what what makes you smile what you know doing a beatles podcast doing a music podcast if you love music gets you out of bed Right. I think professionally, I'm a broadcaster, not not necessarily even a sportscaster or a play by play announcer, but I enjoy the craft of broadcasting of, right. uh, you know, whether it's hosting a music show, which I've, I did at CKLN a little bit, yeah. whether it's whether it's being part of a, a hockey broadcast, uh, whether it's doing something like this or whether it's doing a podcast, I enjoy the craft of telling a story and interacting with other people. And so professionally, that's what gets me out of bed in the morning. That's what I miss. That's what I, I really enjoy doing it on so many levels of, uh, you know, a live sports cast. There's the, the aspect of teamwork, you know, to do a live sports broadcast takes so much and so many people have to do the th- right things at the right time and it's a tremendous endeavor and the the buzz that you have walking out of the booth after a well broadcast game is like wow that really went well and the same with when i finish editing a podcast the you know the walrus was paul as the as the case may be and i and i play it back and i go wow that really came together nicely there's a nice story through it and he or she made some good points and i made some good points and that all came together i'll walk away from this podcast going wow that was a really good conversation with ralph and we both told some interesting stories and had some interesting viewpoints so that's professionally that's what gets me out of bed but as a person i'm i'm kind of like where you are now ralph i mean i take great joy in 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 cooking in uh in hanging out with my wife uh i've got a a beautiful senior golden retriever that makes me laugh and smile every day (laughs) 
Uh, and I, I do, I take great joy in all of those things too. So yeah, I, I just wish I could kind of find him, you know, a happy yeah, medium. Yeah. I mean, for me, it's, I'm always discerning what people yearn for and it's not necessarily on the nose of it has to be this way, but storytelling, communicating, you know, I had a, one of the big wigs when I was doing a show called Midday, there was a big wig um, produ executive producer. And um, he was interviewing me for the job. And the first thing was, uh, it says here you were a stand-up comic at one point. Now, this was a current affairs national TV show. And he went, that wasn't serious, was it? And I said, well, yeah. It's kind of how I paid the rent and ate. So yeah, it was pretty serious. So he wasn't, he was hoping I'd say, no, no, it was just a thing I did. Don't, no, no, nothing to see here, move on. But then he said, well, why do you want to do this? And I blurted this thing out, which he just looked at me like, is this guy nuts? And what I said was, I want to conquer the feeling of separateness that people have, that they're alone and that nobody gets it and that they can't share in anything. And when you're a broadcaster, when you're a communicator, you bridge that gap. They have people walk up to you on the street and they're like, you know that time, that shit, that game, that thing? Yeah, it, true. It, you know, and, and when you said scores, I went nuts. I went out of my head. And you're just like, hey, that was, we're not alone. We're in this together. And for me, broadcasting is, is, is you know, you can miss it by saying, geez, I wish I could just get in front of the mic because I can sort of incorporate the things that have been running through my head for the last few days. And other people will be, if you're good at it, they can relate to you. They can go, right, me too. I'm not, it's like people in a support group, right? You, you, the person sits down and goes, I have an eating disorder. God love them. I have an eating disorder. And the other person goes, oh, thank God I'm not the only person on earth. Mm -hmm. Yep. Right. I love uh, the Leafs. Oh, thank God. I thought everybody had given up by now. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know. I don't know. Listen, I got to go. Uh, I really appreciate the time and uh, uh, have me on your show one of these days and I'll do, I'll do uh, some Beatles with you because uh, I, I, all four of my boys, whenever I start to play Beatles for them, they go, what's that? I go, just listen. This is the Beatles. Take what, what, it very seriously. What would you pick? Mm, would I'd you... have to think about it because I might pick the one that confused me the most in terms of how it was how it came together, which would have been the White Album. Because there's so many different things going on on that album that, or, you know, the Let It Be album would have been just because I was in mourning, you know, because it was over, mm -hmm. right? But the White Album to me was just like, I don't know what to do with this, but you know what? There's so much, like my sister was three years older and she came home with two albums at one point and said, here, she, she was my tutor in music. You got to listen to these. And one was Jimi Hendrix, Are You Experienced? And the other one was Sgt. Peppers. And what amazed me about the Beatles was that they were not beholden to being the Beatles. Every album was like, what? Where the hell did that come from? And, and I always felt like the Rolling Stones were about 10 feet behind them trying to keep up, you know, Satanic Majesty's request after, you know, Sergeant Peppers. 
So I, I didn't have as much respect for them. And my sister did warn me when the monkeys came out, if you ever tell me the monkeys are good, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> it's like, okay, no, no, it's fine. I do like Mickey Dolan's. I don't know why, but it's okay. But yeah, I would have to think about it, but it might be the White Album because to me that one was as much about them being separate from each other as being together. It's like everybody brought their own stuff to the party because they were pretty near the end of doing the party. Right. It is a brilliant kaleidoscope of creativity. And the irony is it has a completely blank cover. Yeah, exactly. But, but, but that was them every time. Yeah. Right? yeah. Rubber soul, you know, it's just like, wow, he's sleeping in a bathtub. Wow, that's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> that didn't turn out as a great day. He's in the bathtub. Yeah. I'll, I'll I'll jot your name down as a uh, yeah. Put me at the back of the list. You you want real musicians talking about this? You don't want a guy like me. <laughs> Listen, Paul. Thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. Okay. It has been my pleasure. It's uh, it's lovely to talk to you again, and I hope to to talk to you uh, in person when we get this all figured out. Once the plague is over, I'll be there, Ma. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I got to do this. Thanks again to Kaplansky's Deli. Koplansky's Deli that asked, would it kill you to call your mustard? Go to Koplansky's.com and order the best mustard you'll ever buy. The promo code, you get 10% off, is NTKR. They sell individual jars of mustard, they variety packs, t-shirts. Just go to the website, Koplansky's.com, and you'll find everything there. Uh, and uh, Zane Koplansky does a great job. I just finished a whole jar of spicy mustard. It was fantastic. Uh, so enjoy it while you can. Uh, I'm Ralph Benmerigi. I want you to take care of each other and uh, go to my Facebook page to say hi if you'd like. Not that kind of rabbi, the Facebook page or my Twitter, which is at Ralph Benmerigi. Take care. See you later. Bye. podcast has been produced by TMDS and accelerated by Rome Phone. Rome Phone brings you the most reliable virtual phone service to run your business and protect your home number from unwanted calls. Visit romephone.ca to get started.